Welcome to The Abandoned Carousel, the show where I tell you the stories of the most interesting abandoned amusements and theme parks in the world. I'm your host, Ashley. This week, we're taking a deep look at Joyland, a family-run amusement park in Kansas, which operated for over 50 years. One thing that I've learned, even over the short course of this show, is that despite the fascinating images of abandoned places that you can see, these parks and their stories are really all about people and families and communities. The story of Joyland, in particular, epitomizes that community connection. Joyland all started with a family, one family, the Ottaway family, of Wichita, Kansas. Our story begins with Lester A. Ottaway. He was a businessman, a farmer, and a mechanic who arrived in Wichita around the turn of the century in 1904. He opened and ran the Ottaway Alfalfa Mill from 1909 until 1921. A few years later, from 1929 to 1945, he operated the L.A. Ottaway Sand Company. Now, during this time, he married... Mrs. Gladys Woolworth, and they began having children. Lester had 10 children, three daughters and seven sons. The Joyland story focuses on Lester's two eldest sons, Harold and Herbert. Herb Ottaway, in particular, is a driving force of our story today. He was born in 1912, and he was a mechanical whiz and a bike aficionado. The story goes that he walked home from school each day, and one day sometime in the 1920s, he spotted this old motorcycle leaning up against a house. He came back for two days trying to buy the motorcycle from the owner. Finally, he brought a bag full of change, $12, quote, which was all the money I had managed to save in my life, end quote. This would be about $300 in today's money. The owner took the bag without counting the money, and gave Herb the broken-down motorcycle, which he pushed all the way home. And this was the start of Herb's love of racing and motorcycles, and an indicator of his persistence in accomplishing his goals, which will come into play with the Joyland story a bit later. Now, professionally, Herbert began as a welder in the local Wichita aircraft plants. See, in the mid-1920s, Wichita was already throwing off its original image of a sleepy cow town, and now it was well on its way towards becoming essential for both agriculture and aviation. Boeing, Beach, Culver, and Cessna were all big names in the area as the Depression shifted into wartime airplane production. Now, by the age of 17, Herb had built his own motorcycles from the ground up, And he won the biggest race of his career, the Oklahoma State Championship, in 1930, where he won roughly $600, which is about $9,000 in today's money. Herb continued to race on tracks throughout Kansas well into the 1930s in his spare time, retiring without permanent injury from the sport around that time. 
aviation production was huge in Wichita at this time, like I said, and so the population was growing rapidly as well. Wichita was really essential for warcraft production prior to and during the Second World War. The city's population doubled between 1940 and 1943 alone. That's just three years, which is a huge population boom. And against this background is where Joyland arose. It was the perfect diversion for a population that needed some recreation. It was through motorcycle racing that Herb met some friends that could help him along his future career track. And these were Gerald Chance and Max Wilson. Now, Gerald Chance was the Indian motorcycle dealer in Wichita in the 1930s. And Herb and Gerald became good friends. Gerald introduced Herb to his son, Richard, who was also called Harold. It's kind of confusing because everyone has the same names in this story. It's history. That's the way it goes. So Gerald introduced Herb to his son, who was named Harold. And Harold Chance was nine years junior to Herb and also served as a welder in the local aviation factories. Now, Max Wilson was also a fellow motorcycle rider, and he was interested in miniature steam trains. And this inspired Herb. Herb had a love for all things steam-driven and steam-operated. So this is where stories start to diverge. If you do a quick search for Joyland, you'll see this same block of text copied on almost every single site. And this is the Wikipedia text. Here's the, here's the quote. Quote, The park was founded by Lester Ottaway and his sons, Herbert and Harold, to serve as the home for the miniature 12-inch, 300-millimeter gauge steam locomotive that Herb Ottaway had purchased in Fort Scott back in 1933. The train had been a part of a defunct amusement park there and was originally built by the Miniature Railway Company of Elgin, Illinois, between 1905 and 1910. End quote. So what's the problem with this? Well, there's no citations for one, and it's oddly specific. Fort Scott, this small, small town that's in between Kansas and Missouri. So this uh, lack of citation and this really specific reference that kept being copied over on all the websites, it really piqued my interest. And it's difficult given that the articles that you're able to look at online are not available during this time period for the particular Kansas paper that would be useful. But I mean, because of this, something doesn't ring quite true. So like I said, Fort Scott is a really small town. And if you look into it, it really only had one amusement park, which was called Fern Lake Park, later known as Gun Park. This was a fairly typical pleasure garden for the time, and it operated movie theaters, vaudeville acts, it had a zoo. Um, And the park was purchased by the city of Fort Scott somewhere between 1910 and 1912. And the amusement aspects were stripped away so that it could become a typical city park. Now, nowhere in the newspaper sources at the time that I was able to find was there mention of a miniature train. And this, a miniature train would have been huge news in the newspapers and magazines at the time. This was over a century ago, and it was a different time. So I really kind of got derailed and sidetracked as I was doing research on this park, because I really wanted to know where the original 
1933 purchased steam train had come from. So I kept looking into it. Another possible source could have been nearby Hutchinson, Kansas, from the former Riverside Park. Now, this amusement park was known for its miniature train, and there are several references to it in the papers, the primary sources, for that time. However, the Riverside Park train was sold in 1916, which is far earlier than the known acquisition date of the Ottaway train in the mid-1930s. There are a few other sources that are um, less regularly referenced, and one of these is the personal account of Jerry Ottaway, Herb's son, that's titled The Ottaway Steam Train. And Jerry wrote, quote, about 1932, my dad, Herb Ottaway, purchased a steam train from a popular recreation area located on South Meridian Avenue. He rebuilt the engine and coaches the following winter, end quote. A different account states, quote, Herb had built a miniature live steam locomotive, end quote, following advice of his friend Max Wilson. So we've got all these different sources. Now, one final source might have the ultimate key that would tie all these accounts together. In 2004, Ed Kelly wrote a history of the Ottaway Amusement Company, and his website is now defunct but was fortunately saved by the Wayback Machine. Quote, An important chapter of park train history began in 1933 when a Kansas family by the name of Ottaway bought a 12-inch gauge steam locomotive from an old amusement park at the Kansas-Missouri border in Fort Scott, Kansas. End quote. Now, of course, that part's the same. So let's keep going. Quote, this locomotive was built between 1905 and 1910 by the International Miniature Railway Company of Elgin, Illinois, for White City, a Chicago amusement park. Replaced by a larger 15-inch gauge Cagney locomotive, the little engine passed through amusement parks in Iowa and Kansas, as well as received many extreme modifications. End quote. So here we've got some additional details. Isn't history great? That's why you're listening to this podcast, right? So Kelly's post references a photo of the train, which unfortunately was not archived on the Wayback Machine. And this picture, again, references the train being in Iowa. Now, White City was a Chicago amusement park that also closed early in the teens. But it does also make sense that that train could have passed hands just through various collectors and um, made it to Fort Scott, Kansas. So ultimately, we know that, you know, ultimately, it doesn't really matter. Where did Herb get the train? It doesn't entirely matter. But it's a little bit disingenuous to say that it came from a defunct amusement park in Fort Scott, Kansas, when that wasn't actually the case. So in 1933, Herb Ottaway acquired a miniature steam train. Source unknown. Together with Harold, his brother, and Lester, his father, he rebuilt and refurbished the little train over the next year. And this train was styled as a miniature AT and SF railway car. And this stands for Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe. And this is, if you take a look at it, you'll know what it looks like. It's, it's a really classic, popular train car. So the Ottaways began taking the train around Kansas for... Uh, rides for the local children, and it was quite popular. So they expanded their reach. They set themselves up with their friend, Gerald Chance, and his family. You remember Gerald? We talked about him. He was the owner of the local motorcycle shop. 
So just like the Ottaways, Chance and his family were also into building steam engine-powered things. So Chance built, quote, four gasoline-powered cars and a kitty auto ride, end quote. And together, he and his family and the Ottaways and their family spent the spring and summer in Manitou, Colorado, providing rides on their small carnival. And this happened every summer from 1934 until 1940, coming to a halt only with the onset of war in 1941. Now, the train was the star of the show. It was the most popular thing to ride. So in 1940, the Ottaways opened Ottaway Amusement Company, a business where they would build the trains and sell them to interested people. By 1944, they had a shop set up in Wichita, and they had already produced two complete engines. They hired on Harold Chance. Remember Harold? He was Gerald's son to work in the train shop. By 1945, five additional locomotives had been built from scratch, and the Ottaways were actually already advertising their locomotives in papers and trade magazines. It was essentially this complete mail-order miniature railroad setup. There was an engine, three cars, and 270 feet of track, plus maintenance accessories, for $2,500. The number's a little less impressive in today's money. It's about $35,000. Still, that's a pretty good deal if you're trying to add something to your little park that you have, your local amusement park that you operate. In a similar vein, around this time, Herb and Harold opened a small amusement park in Plainview, Kansas, which was a suburb on the outskirts of Wichita. So like I told you, there was a huge population boom in Wichita around this time that related to the aviation industry. With the war in full swing, a town had sprung up near Boeing and the other aviation plants, and there were thousands of people, families, kids, workers, who were looking for entertainment. So the Ottaways provided. Now this Plainview Park was quite small. The opening date isn't quite clear, is either 1942 or 1943, and it was called Playland or Playtime, depending on the source. There was a tilt-a-whirl, a Ferris wheel, and a merry-go-round. Now, of course, this was a difficult time to have a leisure business during the war years, because it was said that any non-war business uses say, such as a theme park, were taxed at 20%. And you can compare this to your current state tax rate that might be somewhere around 5%. That's a big, big number. But the park was hugely popular with its captive audience. With the war ending in 1945, and perhaps inspired by his son's park in Plainview, Patriarch Lester Ottaway saw an opportunity for an amusement park in Wichita, Kansas. Lester purchased the land right in the heart of Wichita between Central and New York streets, and it was there that Joyland opened at 1515 East Central sometime in 1946. And soon after, Herb and Harold closed the small park in Plainview, moving the rides that were there to what we'll call Joyland Central. Now, Joyland Central is sometimes confused with Kittyland in modern accounts. However, these were separate parks. Kittyland was another Wichita theme park, which is owned by the Consolver family. This park opened in 1947. 
One visitor remembers that Kittyland was special to them because it had boats and pony rides, which Joyland did not have. Now, Kittyland in Wichita was closed in 1968 and torn down to build what is now the Wichita Mall. All that to say, Joyland and Kittyland, not the same thing. So, more rides were added to Joyland Central pretty quickly, and these included a shooting range, a child's auto ride, a roloplane, and the very popular Dodgem bumper cars. The fondly remembered old woman's shoe attraction, which was a giant shoe that kids could climb around in, was also originally located at this Joyland Central location. Even with the war over, it was an interesting time to run a theme park. The city's electric company would not provide service to the park. They didn't think it was necessary. The park therefore had to operate on a generator, which had to be turned on by hand every single time the park opened. Still, the people came to Joyland. After the end of the World War, people were hungry for lightness, they were hungry for entertainment, and they wanted some leisure. Joyland was a hit with both children and adults, and business was booming. So as the Ottaways eyed the addition of a large roller coaster at Joyland, they realized that they needed to look for a new location for their park. The central location was just too small. They were making plans for a new location for their park as early as 1948. So after quite a bit of looking, the Ottaways found the land they wanted. 2801 South Hillside. Joyland Hillside, or just Joyland, had found its new home. So Joyland Park opened officially on June 12, 1949. At its new location, on Hillside. And at the time, it was considered the biggest amusement park in the area, with the roller coaster being a particularly big deal. Quote, a huge deal. It was amazing. End quote. Said Roger Nelson, the son of Stanley and Margaret Nelson, who would later own the park. More than 1,200 people attended on the opening ceremony day when the mayor cut the ribbon for the roller coaster. Quote, the coaster is said to have the steepest drop of any in the country, end quote, the newspaper said at the time. Joyland Central and Joyland Hillside were open simultaneously for only a short period of time. Again, like with the Plainview Park and Joyland Central, the two parks ended up being combined. So when the land value at the central location increased, the Ottaways sold Joyland Central's property and combined the two Joylands at the hillside location. So now on, we're just going to call it Joyland. That's what you know it as anyways. Some of the rides from Joyland Central were moved to Joyland's hillside location. One of these, the Joyland Carousel, was sold. And a brand new 1949 carousel made by Alan Herschel under the Herschel-Spillman name was brought to the park. By the time of the park's closure more than 50 years later, every single one of the original horses for this carousel was still present and accounted for and in good condition, primarily because the carousel was completely disassembled every winter beginning in 1951. Now, this carousel is pretty cool. The horses, of course, were all hand-carved, and they had wood bodies and aluminum heads and tails, and this was for durability. And this actually is a way of 
um, dating the carousel because they only did this for a really specific point in history right around World War II. Joyland opened with several rides right from the start in 1949, including the famous roller coaster, Dodge on Bumper Cars, the carousel, and the Ferris wheel. So the park's coaster, called Roller Coaster, was built in 1949 for Joyland by the Philadelphia Toboggan Company. It was ready on opening day. The coaster was designed by Herbert Paul Schmeck, whose work has often been listed among the top 10 coasters in the world. Roller Coaster was one of the last original wooden coasters in the country, one of the 44, quote, ace coaster classics, end quote. And not until 2006 was the roller coaster given any other name. They just called it Roller Coaster. In 2006, they they did an overlay and they called it Nightmare, but everyone called it Roller Coaster. So Roller Coaster covered 2,600 feet. It had an 80-foot drop and a 50-mile-per-hour top speed. The ride was notable as the years went on for being the only remaining North American coaster that still used vintage cars with fixed lap bars. And this is notable because it allows for great airtime as you ride the roller coaster. Quote, they ran that roller coaster from one in the afternoon until one in the morning at 25 cents a ride, and it was full every time. End quote. A trip report from the early 2000s describes the ride in a little bit more detail, saying, quote, the ride featuring an L dogleg and a lift hill that is slightly askew is bigger than you think. Immediately off the lift, riders are shot skyward as the train tumbles down the steep first hill, then slam down as it bottoms out. The first three hills all have great airtime, end quote. This modern rider in the early 2000s goes on to say, quote, rarely do I find a roller coaster that changes in intensity so much over the course of a day. This coaster, tame in its early runs, becomes an airtime machine by late afternoon and a bat out of hell by nighttime. End quote. With a description like that, it's easy to see why people flocked to Joyland. And clearly, the roller coaster was one of or the most popular ride in the park, as with many parks. There was also a Ferris wheel. The Joyland Ferris wheel was an a- original attraction from the park's opening, manufactured by the Eli Bridge Company, which is the world's oldest maker of Ferris wheels. Now, this wheel was manufactured in Jacksonville, Illinois, and the company actually still operates there in the original building, which opened in 1919. In earlier days, the Ferris wheel was silver, and its 16 chairs were painted bright blue, red, and yellow. As the years went on, the frame ended up being painted this distinctive sunshine yellow. The seats themselves were nicely detailed, with a stylized JP on the backs for Joyland Park. In 1947, while the Ottaways were still preparing for their new park, they were in contact with a man called Jess Gibbs, who was telling them about this old band organ that was sitting at an estate in Coffeyville known as the Old Brown Mansion. And this organ had apparently been sitting abandoned for 20 years there. So the Brown Mansion was a spa in the heydays of the 1920s, and it was known as the Silerun Springs Bathhouse. And there were multiple parts to this bathhouse, but there was specific to our story, a ballroom, 
where the guests danced and whirled to the music of this mammoth Wurlitzer organ, the largest of the earliest Wurlitzer models, which was built around 1905. Now, when the Brown Mansion closed during the Depression, the organ was left abandoned. It was, it was huge. It wasn't going to be moved. And it sat there, abandoned and forgotten. So Harold and Herbert went out to take a look. And they liked what they saw. They bought the organ as is for somewhere between $350 to $500, roughly four dollars to $5,000 in today's money. And so they took the organ back to Gibbs. And he was an organ guy, so what he did was he repaired it for the Ottaways over the next two years while Joyland was being built. Mice had made their homes in this organ, eating the glue off the joints. And there were no brass pipes in the organ anymore because they'd been sold for the war effort in between 1941 and 1945. Additionally, the organ had suffered water damage during its years of abandonment. The Joyland Wurlitzer was one of only two mammoth organs that were still in existence, and at the time, and for most of the second half of the century, was the only mammoth Wurlitzer available for public viewing. So after delivery of the completed organ to Joyland, Gibbs stayed on with the Ottaways. He was one of only three people throughout the tenure of the park to maintain the organ and its creepy clown player. For most people, of course, the most memorable part of Joyland Park was this creepy clown. Louie was an essential part of the Joyland Wurlitzer experience. The story goes that the Ottaways acquired him at an amusement park trade show sometime in 1949. He only cost $750, and the Ottaways sat him up in front of the organ where he pretended to play. His randomized movements were actually apparently good enough to fool some guests. And as you might expect, because he was a clown, visitors either loved or hated Louis. He had a white face painted with blue swirls among the classic clown makeup. And each season he wore a new outfit. One visitor remembers him fondly, saying, quote, I loved Louis. He was the first thing I'd run to see when I entered the park as a little girl before hopping in line to ride the merry-go-round, end quote. Hal Ottaway, Harold's son, later said, quote, Louis was very important to the park and the whole atmosphere of going to Joyland. It just provided excitement instantly as you walked into this park, end quote. Excitement or fear, it was always hard to tell which. So during the Joyland Central years, the Dodgem bumper cars were one of the most popular rides at the park. When the two parks merged into one, management decided to install both Dodgem rides in the park to double capacity. The idea, of course, was that two must be better than one. As we all know, this doesn't really work in practice, and so one of the Dodgem buildings was closed. But it was reused, however, as the park's first dark ride. This was sort of a standard one-story fright house that was common for the era. Some sources say that the Philadelphia Toboggan Company may have been involved in the design. And the ride was later updated with a safari theme, which included lions, alligators, snakes, and other types of scares. Now, not a ride, but memorable still the same, Porky the Paper Eater was also something memorable at Joyland from the very beginning. Now, Porky was developed by Harry J. Bat Associates for the Pontchartrain Beach Fun Center. Porky is one of several models, which also include 
Leo the Lion, and Pepe the Clown. Now, what is Porky? If you're not from the area and you didn't go to this park, you might not know. But Porky was a face in a mushroom. And he sat there and waited for visitors to bring him trash to suck up through his open mouth, which was a vacuum. From an adult perspective, the whole thing is kind of menacing, to be honest, especially the lion and clown versions. But kids at the time apparently loved Porky. Quote, Porky was the best thing because the kids would run all over picking up trash. End quote. With all of the attractions in place, business was booming at Joyland. Joyland worked with the State Department to help cross-promote their park during the first few years. At the time, carnivals and amusement parks were kind of seen as seedy, and the Ottaways were cognizant that they wanted to promote their park differently. They wanted to make it family-friendly. Remember, this was 1949. This was still several years before Disneyland came along. The Ottaways took great pains to humanize themselves and to tie the welfare of their park to the growth of the city of Wichita. And they took surveys to identify their target audience and promote advertising directed at that audience. And in the early years, most of the Joyland attendees were from rural farms around Kansas, not the city audience that you might expect at the time. So since the Ottaways themselves were avid collectors of all things steam and gas engine related, especially tractors, they held annual steam tractor shows and tractor pulling contests at the park through at least 1956. And as an interesting sidebar, Herb Ottaway is known for inventing the steam-powered pogo stick. Joyland also advertised with schools, the police department, and the state department. In one schools out party, students got free admission to the park by bringing in school supplies, which were then sent to partner schools in Europe by the State Department. And remember, this this might seem a little weird to us now, but this promotion was one that occurred in the years after the Second World War. So you can see the logic there. Films were then taken jointly at both Joyland and the partner school allowing cross-promotion of all of the entities that were involved. Later on, Joyland offered a good grades promotion, which was also quite memorable. Students would receive free entrance to the park with good grades on their report card. Wichita resident Erica Davis remembers, quote, My parents used to take me when report cards came out. It was an excellent motivator. End quote. Other promotions that were consistent throughout the park's history were days that were specific for employees of local groups and businesses, particularly the local aviation industry. Resident Jacqueline DeFever remembers, quote, My dad worked at Beach Aircraft, and they had nights where if you brought a can of pop, you got in free. We would go all the time. End quote. The park business was booming. The Ottaways had their hands full, and they couldn't devote the necessary attention to their miniature train business, Ottaway Amusement Company. They sold their train business to Harold Chance, their worker, who'd continued to build the miniature steam trains. And Harold did a great job with these trains, adding gasoline and electric-powered trains to the fleet over the years. Chance built some new trains for the park in 1951 as part of the transaction. 
and these were a set of ABA Santa Fe Streamliners. They were sleek and modern in contrast to the classic Ottaway train model that had opened with the park. And by 1961, Harold Chance incorporated Chance Rides, which later went on to become the largest amusement ride manufacturer in the world. The park continued to grow in popularity, and in the 1950s, after Joyland had been open for several years, it was time for renovations, and this included an Olympic-sized swimming pool. This pool had a tall slide and high dives, and if you forgot your swimsuit, you could even buy a Joyland pair right at the park. The pool was, unsurprisingly, a huge crowd-pleaser during the hot summers. This was a time when air conditioning wasn't a regular feature in the average home. Resident Angie Amos remembers, quote, I remember as a little girl getting to go to the pool that was there for years. The pool seemed so big and the slide so tall. The diving boards were really high up. There were always a lot of people in and around the pool. Other changes included the addition of a whole new section of the park. In 1961, Kansas celebrated its centennial as a state. To celebrate, Joyland added on an Old West Town section, which they called Frontier Town. This Old West section had a genuine old Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe railway caboose, a full-sized one like a real one, which had originally been built in the 1920s. And this whole new section also had things like a general store, dry goods, a saloon, and, of course, it wouldn't be complete without cowboys, quote, who regularly performed shootouts on the town's main street, much to the delight of Joyland's visitors. So life at Joyland, it was moving along smoothly. This family park was doing well. The atmosphere was thrilling. Quote, I walked through the screams, shots, cries, laughter, music, bells, buzzers, rails, rollers, rides, explosions, flashing lights, and grinding gears, end quote said guest John Rowe, describing the atmosphere of the park. Joyland Park continued to increase in popularity among its guests. So, well, the Ottaways had been at it for a while, and in the mid-1960s, the Ottaways retired from the park business. Lester had passed away in the 1950s, and it was Herb and Harold running it, and they decided it was time for them to take a break. The original steam train retired with them. It moved to their personal collection. In its place, in 1961, a new train joined the park, manufactured by Harold Chance and Chance Rides. It was the first ever C.P. Huntington miniature train. It came direct from the factory with serial number one. Quote, Joyland's train really launched Chance Rides, end quote said the national sales director at Chance Rides sometime later. They are still open. They are the biggest rides manufacturer in the world. With the retirement of the original Joyland train and the introduction of a new C.P. Huntington train, this also marked a new chapter for Joyland. With the Ottaways retiring, it was time for new ownership, and Joyland would continue in a new chapter under the ownership of Stanley and Margaret Nelson. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Abandoned Carousel, where I covered the early history of Joyland Park in Kansas and the Ottaway family that ran it. 
This is the first in a two-part series. Come back next week and we'll talk about the second half of Joyland's existence. From new rides and new management to an abandoned eyesore and lots and lots of fire. You can find show notes, photos, and links at my website, theabandonedcarousel.com. Remember to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcatcher. I'd love to hear your stories about Joyland. Email me, hello at the abandoned carousel, or get in touch across social media. On Twitter, I'm at carouselabandon, A-B-A-N-D-O-N, and everywhere else across social media at the abandoned carousel. Like I said, I'll be back next week with the second part of Joyland's story. So I'll see you then. As Lucy Maud Montgomery once said, nothing is ever really lost to us as long as we remember it. (laughs) ¶¶